You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast. I had to catch myself there for a second. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I mess that up. What's going on, Mark? Oh, well, we got so much stuff going. We've grown. We've added another podcast, The Permian Perspective. If you haven't checked it out, go listen to Krista. And then there's a little bit of news for, for this audience and for all of our audience, but Jake and Colin are taking the Oil & Gas Startups podcast and they're moving on to bigger and better things. Jake, you're going to stay on this show with us here, but the Startups podcast is going to have a new home soon. And uh, you and Colin are just blowing and going out there. So it's awesome. We wish, wish you and Colin the best of luck with that. And we're all still family. So we'll still talk. We'll still have you on the shows, but some big stuff coming up for you and Colin in that show. Yep. It's a lot of things that are happening on the back end that people will find out about soon enough. We're super excited. You know, we're, I'm still super happy to be on this show and, you know, we're very happy with the direction that the Startups Podcast has gone. Yep. And speaking of the direction the podcast has gone, this is the direction of the first Friday Q&A. This is where you <laughs> write in questions. And thank you, everybody. We were overwhelmed with questions. It was awesome. And we try to answer them. Just remember, the goal of sending in a question is not to stump Jake and I. Um, <laughs> but if we read your question on there, you get a big shout out. So let's just jump into it. Actually, before we jump into it, Jake, we got a couple of reviews I want to go through. The first one, fantastic podcast by Auspicious Don. I love that from the UK. Uh, this podcast is incredibly informative. It touches on the positive points in oil and gas. I was not aware of having recently started my career in renewables. I am now strongly considering moves to the oil and gas sector. Keep up the good work. This is awesome, Auspicious Don. And you can do both. So renewables aren't different than oil and gas. It's just a different energy. It's just a different type of energy. So there's no reason we can't coexist, but we'd love to have you come over here. And then we got a great podcast by FOSB from the US. If you're interested in oil and gas, this is the podcast for you. The hosts are well-informed and do a great job explaining a very complex industry. They make learning about the oil patch a fan fascinating subject two thumbs up uh, we appreciate that as well if you want to support this show and all of our shows number one thing you do is leave us a review it takes a couple of seconds we'd really appreciate it let's get into questions jake cool first question is from jake busby who's a student at brigham young university he writes hey my name is jake i'm a finance student at byu i recently started listening to your podcast and i found it extremely helpful especially as someone who is getting into the oil and gas industry I'm a sophomore at my school, and I'm going to recruit for oil and gas investment banking in Houston in just a few months. I'm reaching out to see if you have any suggestions as to firms that are still hiring interns in the Houston area. I'd be more than happy to send you my resume or talk if you have a few minutes. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm going to actually reach out, reach out to Jake, see if I can help him. Unfortunately, Jake, it's pretty close to the beginning of the summer. So most of those internships, that those summer internships are probably gone. Your best chance is to find companies that do that. And maybe somebody that got an internship couldn't do it for some reason. That would probably be the best thing. But the first thing I would do is I would literally Google a list of banks in Houston because they're physically in Houston. They touch the oil and gas patch in some shape or fashion and, uh, and just start reaching out to people. You know, there's a lot of companies that hire interns during the summer and during the, the winter break. So it's just a little bit of work on your part. And then I'll also, I'll actually reach out to him directly, Jake. Or, <laughs> I'll reach out to Jake Busby directly, <laughs> Jake, <laughs> so, and see if I can help him there. But it's just a little bit too late. If you're a student out there and you're interested in getting an internship, you really need to start about a year ahead of time. So in Jake's case, he should have started last year. But we'll see if we can help him out. Cool. All right. The next question is from Anonymous, Petroleum Engineer. He writes, I am currently a hydraulic fracturing field engineer working for an oil services company in Wyoming. I have a BS in petroleum engineering, and my ultimate goal is to start my own company as an oil and gas operator. I feel that learning the business from an EMP standpoint is a vital step towards my goal. Moreover, I feel like 
or I would also like to get out of the field and work a lot more towards a traditional schedule. My wife and I would like to move to Houston, and for some time I've been applying to many operator jobs in an area with no success. It seems that most companies do not want to hire me for a position requiring no experience. However, they do not want to hire me for experience positions as they do not view my experience as relevant to an EMP. Any advice you have on how to move from services to operator side would be much appreciated. Love the show. You guys keep me entertained during my lawn drives to location. <laughs> I'm glad we keep you entertained. You want to take a stab at this? You want me to take a stab at it? You can go first. All right. So making that jump from services to the actual operator, actually a lot of times is a really hard thing to do because what the operator is looking for is experience on the operations side and on the service side. Now, with all of that said, Anonymous, one of the first things I would do is I would look at some of the smaller independent companies. They actually have a hard time fighting for talent against the large majors and super majors and large independents because they just don't have the reach and they're more likely to make that let you make that jump for them. But this is going to be work. The other thing is it says that you want to move to Houston, which is awesome. If you want to move to Houston and actually work for an operator out in the field, the Permian is so hot right now, you can't help but get a job. But once again, you could be out in Midland, Odessa, you know, that sort of area. If you're actually trying to get into one of the majors, man, that's that's a hard thing to do because the hiring process is so long and so convoluted. So you end up you know, you end up having to apply online, then some software reads your resume. If you have the right keywords in there, no person actually ever sees it. So from that point of view, if that's where you want to go, you really need to start forming those personal relationships. You can do a little bit of that online. Just remember that this is still an industry of people doing business with people. So you have to start shaking hands. And then that means you need to go to events where the operators are. And so that's some of the conferences, you know, that some of the insider organizations like API or SPE and all that sort of stuff. So a little bit of work, you can do this. And if, if you really have your heart set on going to work for an EMP and you really have your heart set on moving to Houston, I would find a company that's either a smaller operator or somebody that's out in the Permian somewhere and you should be able to make that jump. Yeah, I would, I kind of mirror a lot of what Mark said. You know, I think from my standpoint, what I would do is if I was in your shoes, I would find a list of small to mid-sized independent operators here in the Houston area. I'd cross-reference that list with their production from the Railroad Commission. So you kind of are really, really honing in. I think that'll give you kind of a good list of companies that you can work with. I think it's much easier to get into those, like Mark said, than kind of trying to fight for positions at any of the super majors. I also don't believe that that's a great career move, in my opinion. I think it's there's, I think you can progress so much quicker in a smaller company than you can with these gigantic companies with you know 10,000 employees like Exxon. Yeah, I agree 100%. And also, if you go work for a smaller company, you're going to enjoy the work more. And nothing against working for a large company. I get it, right? I, I know I know all of them well. But since you're a hydraulic fracking engineer and you got field experience, you know, you can use that on the operator side and still, you know, have some time to actually do engineering instead of shuffling Excel spreadsheets all day long. Yeah. And I think another thing you could easily do would be, you know, something that I would think would, if I was an engineer is I would get a subscription to Well Database. It's like 250 a month or something like that. And then if you were able to identify some ways that some of those companies could do some things better using some of their data, I would reach out to them, not only applying for jobs, but also with suggestions of, hey, here's kind of what I do. Here's what would be my suggestions as well. I've seen people do that in kind of the development world in Silicon Valley. They would dissect something and, and kind of bring some suggestions to the table. A lot of people get hired that way. I know it's a little bit, it's unconventional in oil and gas, but I think it's something that if somebody brought me something and said, hey, I think you should do this, this, and this, and here's why, and here's kind of like my case study that I did, I think that's extremely valuable. And it shows that you're really, really dedicated to, to getting a position. 
it also separates you from everybody else out there if yeah. you do something like that. I just gave some advice to a friend of mine and, and basically I had him get his letters of recommendation and have them printed and then took them to Kinko's and have them bound in a nice binding yep. and then FedEx to the hiring manager that he's applying for a job for. And the hiring manager said in his 20 years, he's never had anybody do that. So something that small sets you apart. And Jake's advice is awesome advice. Yeah, exactly. I think something, having something tangible that can, people can hold, like Mark was saying, is, is extremely important. Get the highest quality paper, make it printed like super nice. And then once again, also like Mark said, it's this is still people doing business with people. You're in the people business first and foremost. And so getting out there, coming to our happy hours, coming to a lot of other events, shaking hands. If you're in the job market, you should be out at least three nights a week meeting people. Yep. That is your entire job. And if you're not doing that, I mean, in addition to that, I think you should also be putting out a significant amount of content, essentially advertising yourself on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on all the different mediums. You know, and if you're not doing that, then you're really not trying to get a job that well, in my opinion. Yep, I agree 110%. And if you put that content out there, people will get to know you before you actually talk to them about the job. And it makes that interview process better and quicker because they've gotten to know you online a little bit. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Look at our good friend, David Ramsenwood puts out his hot take of the day every morning. It's usually a little bit more, a little bit longer than something you would see on Twitter. You could do the exact same thing. And it's something that it just it helps you build up a reputation in this industry and you're providing value and not really necessarily asking for anything in return. So just keep that in mind. And that's probably the best advice we can give. Yep. Let's go to the next one. Cause this is gonna be like a four hour <laughs> answer once we get through the questions. Ooh. Okay. Guys, buckle up. This is a long question. All right. So we've got a question from a guy named Brian who's in sales company is to be determined. I started listening to your podcast last week because I'm seeking a career change into the oil and gas industry. and want to learn as much about the industry as I can. I heard your request write in questions. So here's mine. What advice can you give me in regards to finding a sales position if I have no prior experience in the industry? Before we answer that, read that next paragraph. Okay. Because that's a phase into how we can answer this. Okay. So I'm 40 years old, smart, diligent, charismatic. I have a bachelor's degree <laughs> in chemistry. I like to describe my, myself the same way, just not 40. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry. For the past 10 years, I've been employed at a single research firm in the Denver area. The closest I've come to oil and gas is working on refrigerator-sized petrol processing rigs, testing new catalysts, and the like. I've hit a career ceiling with my current employer. Regardless of how much overtime I work and how much I commit to my position, I'm unable to increase my salary uh, substantially. I even drive for Uber on the weekend and rent a room in my house for additional income. I'm no slouch when it comes to work ethic. However, I'm not convinced my career is a dead end, or I'm now convinced that my career is a dead end, and I want to pursue a sales position where the harder I work, the more money I make. I'm absolutely impressed with the culture of those I have met employed on the business side of the oil and gas industry. Everyone seems to work very hard and thus provide for their families. After 10 years in my current field, working lonely long hours in a lab, I am galvanized to pursue a career where I can be of service to others, applying my interpersonal and technical skills to build relationships and solve problems under pressure. Yeah. And then I'm going to skip ahead. He also says, what do you recommend for someone like me at my age who is motivated without any direct sales experience to get involved in oil and gas equipment sales? So this is a very specific question here. So a couple of things that, that just let's put it on the table. So first thing, you're 40, right? In some ways, some potential employers may look at that in a not great way. They may want somebody that's younger, that's a go-getter. But at the flip, you can flip that around and use that age to your advantage, right? So Jake, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. If you responded, if you one of your companies responded to an RFP and you lost, what's the first thing you should do? Just off the top of your head. 
I'd never go through the RFP process. I've only done that once in my entire life, so I can't say. Okay. <laughs> so here's a difference. So I'm 53 and Jake's way younger than I am. So here's a difference just based on the number of years I've sold. The first thing you do when you lose an RFP is you ask the provider, can I be the backup vendor? And that sets it you up. So nobody ever says no to that. That sets you up so that you can cover the and stay in touch with the provider. And if the person that won that RFP slips, you're right there to take their place. The reason I put Jake on the spot in that is that what I'm trying to demonstrate is experience. So because you're 40 years old, Brian, you have a lot of experience. You can leverage what you know. Some 25-year-old person that's getting in sales may have twice your energy and twice your drive, but he doesn't have twice your experience. But the thing about leveraging what you know is you, in sales especially is you never want to be a know-it-all. So you don't want to prove anything. So leverage what you know without proving anything. Then Sales, in my opinion, in 2019 is all about being a problem solver. And how do you get to the heart of the problem? And how do you get to why people want to solve it? How much they want to solve it? And if it's something that's solvable and who benefits from that? You get all that by learning how to question people properly. Once again, you can use your age right to your advantage there. You know, be, Become a master questioner and problem solver. And that's going to put you ahead of a lot of other people. Always, always, always like Jake and I talk about all the time, you need to get involved in social media, right? You need to learn. So podcasts are great. It's why you're listening to this one. So that's awesome. But there's other things that you need to learn. Now, here's where it's going to be really hard. You have no oil and gas sales experience. And quite honestly, you, you really don't have any sales experience. You want to go from a lab job to sales. So a couple of things that you need to know about sales. It's perfect for some people and some people can't stand it. I actually love sales, but you have to be okay with a variable income. So you control your income. You have a, some type of bonus or commission or at risk component. So the better and harder you work, the more money you make and the worse and less you work, the less money you make. The other thing is being in sales, even if for a small company, you're measured. You're like a quarterback, right? Because you're measured by how much money you bring into the company. And, and if you do a really good job with that and you're in the top, say 20% of the sales force, you're, you're golden, right? If now, if you're in the bottom 20%, your days are numbered, quite honestly. And a lot of people can't stand that pressure. You look at accountants or project managers, they're not measured that way. Only salespeople are measured that way. I actually love it because I can prove that I'm doing a good job. And, and quite honestly, I'm not going to say which company, but a long time ago, I worked for an extremely large company and I was their head of their oil and gas sales. And I actually got to the point where I was making enough revenue and my entire company would just leave me alone. Nobody, nobody even talk, questioned me about stuff because I was doing what I was supposed to do. And a salesperson's job is to bring money in. So what you really need is some sales experience. And even if that sales experience is something as simple as, you know, going and volunteering and working in a booth at a conference for some oil and gas company so you can interface with people, you have to get some sales experience. You get a little bit of sales experience, use your age and your experience to your advantage, be humble and go out there and look for a sales position. And, and you probably will get somebody to let you come in the door. Now, I doubt, especially with all-field equipment sales, I doubt very much you could come in the doors outside sales rep in the beginning. You may shadow somebody or you may be helping somebody, but that's that's a key position for all the service companies. Those are the guys that bring in the revenue. Everybody else in the entire company spends money. You're the only one that makes it. So it's going to be really hard for you to get out the bait come out the gate with no sales experience, become an outside sales rep. But you know what? You could easily become an inside sales rep and then you learn. And once you get your foot in the door with whatever service company you're working for in a sales position, even if it's inside sales, you figure out, you know, look in the CRM or ask people who are the top salespeople there and make them friends of yours. Go hang out with them, learn from them, listen to them, right? The ability to problem solve with whatever equipment that you're selling is in those guys' heads. And the more you hear them interface with their prospects and their customers, the more you learn and the quicker you will move to outside sales. So that's my answer for that part. You want to jump in for that, Jake? 
Yeah, I think it really kind of depends on what your tolerance for risk is kind of starting off, but to kind of hedge it to where obviously you don't have a whole, really any sales experience whatsoever. You know, there are a lot of positions in oil and gas that are very, very heavy on the commission side and, and really no not much of a base salary. But that would kind of, I think, would be a good entry point as well because it shows that, you know, hey, if, if you're good at this, it's not a huge risk to the to the employer with you not having experience, you know? And so it, I think it also would kind of create some pressure. And so you either find out if you're good at it really quickly or not. So, yep. And then the next part, he says, ideally, I would envision working from home in Denver and traveling with surrounding territory. That That's what you would be doing. If you got to say, I'm just telling you, that's what you would be doing. So if that's what you want, you know, an oil field service company looks like it might be a good fit. You just need to get over that no sales experience hump. Then you want to read the very last paragraph, Jake? My other question is, what should I expect given a coming recession and possible political change in the country? The Political climate in Denver seems to be anti-oil and gas, and that is a worry. What did the 2008 recession do to people in my situation? Any advice you can give would be greatly appreciated on or off air. Thank you for your work on the podcast. I'm already learning a lot. Can't wait for the next episode. Oh, we need to tell Brian that we have five other oil and gas podcasts, Brian. <laughs> so just just search for oil and gas podcasts or go to OGGN.com. You'll see them all right there. We're actually launching a new one the 15th of this month. I don't even think Jake knows about that yet. So politics is always a part of oil and gas in this country and other countries globally, whatever. Geopoli- geopolitics is always part of our industry. Yes, Colorado is is voting, starting to vote anti-oil and gas, although probably 70% of the population benefit from the industry being in that in that state, even directly or indirectly. They either work for an oil and gas company or their kids go to school that was the taxes were paid by the oil and gas industry or the roads were built by oil and gas, blah, blah, blah. So what I think is going to happen in Denver or in Colorado as a whole is different than what's happening in California. California has just gotten ridiculous. And, and I love you, California. You're one of those beautiful states in our country. But y'all got some really strange politics when it comes to things like energy. It's One of the things that's going on right now, Jake, is the attorney general has launched a, a campaign investigation to find out why gasoline and diesel prices are higher in California than anywhere else. And it's like you're spending tax dollars on something that you should be able to answer yourself because it's your fault you know, from a political side. I think what's going to happen in Colorado is it's already happening, is you're having legislation passed at the local and at the state level that's going to hurt the oil and gas industry. And what's going to happen, that's going to cost jobs and that's going to kill the tax base. And I think that the next political elections that go into Colorado is going to go the other way. It's going to be more pro oil and gas and they'll end up fixing it. So what I think is happening in Colorado is it's kind of got a negative anti-oil and gas political voting climate right now. I think once people have roads that they can't drive on because the potholes are so big or once school starts closing, once people have to move out of the state, I think the next political influx will then be the other way, will be pro oil and gas and they'll fix that. If you're working for a service company, you don't really need to worry about that so much because what's going to happen is there's not going to be a shortage of work. So you may move around. So maybe you don't do as much work in Colorado for four years, but you may be flying to you know, New Mexico or Louisiana or, or Texas or Oklahoma. And then once the political climate swings the other way in Colorado, you can go back there. So that's what I think is going to happen with that. Cool. All right, let's move on to the next one. So this isn't a five-hour episode. And (laughs) our next question is from Parker King, who's a financial planner. He writes, love the show, guys. I listen because the majority of my clients are in the industry and it allows me to stay up to speed with what's happening. With the recent acquisition of Anadarko, do you believe the doors will open to similar-sized companies being acquired in 2019? So update on that, if you guys haven't been following the news. So Chevron came in. Actually, let's back up. Oxy made three bids for Anadarko earlier on. Chevron came and made a different bid for Anadarko. Anadarko entertained the the offer from Chevron. Oxy came back and said, hey, we will offer you more, substantially more. I think it's roughly about $10 billion more. And then to make things even more interesting, Warren Buffett jumps in the ring and says, I'll invest $10 billion into 
this merged company essentially putting more money behind Oxy if that merger goes through. And so it's not fully completed yet. So we're still kind of waiting to see exactly what's going to happen. But it's like the oil and gas soup opera, isn't it? Like it's just, it's, it's political it's, it's intrigue. Game, it's Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> oil and gas yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens. But I think the short answer is a thousand percent. I think there's going to be a lot more consolidation in this space. Yeah, and if you've listened to Jake and I any any length of time, you know we've been talking about this for a while. We both think that you see a lot of the independents with good acreage in the Permian and in other basins be bought by larger companies. It's just it's a natural progression. So to answer your question, we absolutely think that more companies are going to be acquired, and and that trend will just continue. And the other thing I think is going to happen is as this trend continues, you're going to see other companies that not necessarily would invest in an independent look at investing it because the ability to make money at make money by making that investment now seems to be right smack in the sweet spot of the finances. So really interesting to see what's going on with this, but Jake and I both think you're going to see a bunch more acquisitions happen over the next now and over the next couple of years. Cool. Next question is from Jim, who's a president at Shellbox. He wrote, love the name. I heard y'all mention the idea of an online platform for acreage swaps recently. I want to let you know that my company Shellbox is doing just that. I'd love to discuss it with you. Let me know. Cool. Yeah, and so I left this one in there, Jake, because we get this a lot, and I usually don't leave these in here because a lot of times it's a pitch, and somebody's what they're trying to do is just get exposure for their company, and we, we don't do that on this show. We try not to do it on any shows, actually, unless it, the company has something really cool to say. But I thought this was just so straightforward that I'd leave it in there, and it's really cool that people are listening to the show and writing in and letting us know. Like, I didn't even know Shalebox existed, so I've already reached out to Jim. We're, I started an email conversation with him, and what we're going to do is see about getting them on the tech show. So if, you know, if your company's out there and you have something really cool that you're doing that's different, let us know. And if it makes sense, we'll talk to you. And if it makes sense to get you on the shows, maybe we'll do that as well. Awesome. All right. Next question is from Tom. He writes, Mark and Jake, I'm a first time listener to the podcast and I'm already hooked. Keep up the good work. Question for Jake. Here we go. I just started my career as a petroleum engineer at a large operator. I have a vision of starting my own operating company once I get five to 10 years of industry experience. What were the steps you took to start your business and what advice do you have for someone looking to get into the operating business? Where do I begin? My route is unconventional. And so it's really hard for myself to kind of give advice and say, do the exact same thing. As most of you know, I'm not a petroleum engineer. I'm not a geologist. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a regulatory person. I'm not a landman. I'm just an entrepreneur who figures things out. And so in order to start your own operating company, you just need two things. You need a deal. You need some some kind of assets that you're planning on buying or some kind of thesis of something that you want to buy. You know, it's becoming, I think it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to put together. There's a million different business models for, for ENPs. You can buy and flip. You can, you know, buy and hold. Can get into minerals. Obviously, that's not operating. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But ultimately, what you need is you need a deal and you need capital. And so it's kind of like a chicken and the egg kind of situation. And then from there, if you need the capital, you can either go to private financing, you can go to private equity. My advice right now on private equity is it's not a great time to do that. And then once again, when you go to private equity, you have to understand that you have a job at that point. You are working directly for that private equity firm and you will be married to them for three, five. Now it's looking like the the terms are going to be a lot longer, close to eight to 10 years. And so that's eight to 10 years of your life. And you're not necessarily sure if there's going to be a big payout at the end. We have a significant amount of management companies that are PE backed currently. Currently, especially in the Permian, there's like 500 of them. And so my suggestion would be to do it, go to the private route, you know, save up some money, partner with some other guys or, or get with some private investors, you know, pick a few wells here and there, and then just slowly start to grow that out. Yeah, I know he didn't ask me, but I, I really like the fact that he's looking ahead 
five or 10 years, right? So he doesn't want to do it now, but he's looking ahead. If you have that type of long-term approach to this, don't try to bootstrap this. So find somebody that is a complement to your skill sets. doesn't necessarily have to work in the same company. And y'all two get together or three and say, look, in five years, we're going we're to exit and we're each going to invest $100,000 because we'll save $100,000 in five years and we're going to start our own own operating business and then learn as much as you can. It's Jake and Colin have a a small operating company. They have some wells and they're getting ready to actually, should I say that or not say it? Yeah. Yeah. We're getting ready to to divest these assets. We've, you know, we put in a lot of work. We've done some workovers. We've made them more reliable. And then we kind of just waited it out a little, little bit for prices to come up. We found a buyer and we're very happy with the terms that we have so far. So yeah. So you can do this. And the fact that you're looking ahead, if you can bootstrap this yourself, do it. Bootstrap it yourself. Because now, because if you get private equity money, you're working for somebody else, quite frankly. You're, you have a job and they have, like Jake said, they have an end game in mind. Whereas if you want to just run the operating business, you could start it by bootstrapping. You would be way ahead of everybody else because you're not going to have that debt that you have to owe. So, and then the other thing is learn business. So I don't know what the business world only asks could be like 10 years now, but it's going to be really different than it is now. So, you know, you got this influx of technology. You know, it could be easily be that you and your buddies get together in 10 years and y'all use technology to either make yourself more effective or increase production or something. And some, you know, the company, you may go buy an older company has no idea how to do that. Right. So, so just, I love the fact you have a long-term approach, but my number one suggestion would be if you can bootstrap just yourself, bootstrap it yourself. Yeah. Two more, two more things for me. I think with everything that we're seeing with Wall Street, with everything we're seeing with just the markets and private equity currently in the current state of that, I think the privately owned EMPs are going to be the winners long-term. Um, yep. You know, I think, you know, I know people who own their own EMPs other than us who've taken no outside funding whatsoever. They've just taken the slow and steady route. Banks are favoring that. They don't have to lever up too much and they're in great positions. And so whenever these private equity backed companies are kind of, you know, towards the end of, end of the life of their fund and they're not really doing that great, you can come in and pick it up for pennies on the dollar very, very easily. I think those are going to be the winners. Last thing I will add is if you want to start your own operating company, and this goes for anything, if you want to do anything, find people who've already done it other than me and just befriend them, you know? So find some, find some other guys in the industry, you know, and just, you know, don't ask for anything. Just be like, Hey, you know, just here's what I'm looking to do in, you know, five to 10 years. And we'd just love to kind of, you know, chat with you every once in a while. Yeah, that's and great advice. Do that, you know, once a month or, you know, once a week or whatever, whatever you possibly can. And just so that you can, because Colin and I have done the same thing. You know, we've, we've befriended a lot of other CEOs in the oil and gas industry. And that are guys who had, who, who've been in for, you know, all the gray haired guys, you know, older than Mark. So that's pretty old, <laughs> um, you know, and so we, and we, we just, we latched on and they became mentors to us and they taught us so much about, about this game and, you know, what mistakes to not make. And so if you've got five to 10 years, imagine how much, you know, knowledge you can kind of accumulate over that time period. If you're constantly going out and, you know, kind of getting caught up to speed on everything you need to know about this space. So great advice, Jake. What's the next one? Next question is from Terry, who's a process engineer. He writes, process engineer working in oil and gas and love your OGGN podcast a lot. I have two questions to ask. First question, from the podcast, I heard there might be some volunteer work needed for OGGN. And would you please provide a bit more details on what works the volunteers typically do for OGGN, how to become a volunteer for the OGGN organization? Mark, you want to answer that? Yeah. So Terry, first thing you have to change the oil on Jake and I. No, I'm joking. Um, so <laughs> what we're asking people to do is to volunteer and give us one hour of work a week. But if you can't give us one hour, it's totally okay. We get it, right? Life gets in the way, jobs, significant others, 
family pets, whatever, right? And what you're primarily doing is helping us with social media. You're either promoting some of our content on your social networks or you're creating content for us. So we're not asking for a lot. And like we said, if you can't do it that week, that's totally fine. The way you do it is there's going to be a link in the show notes. So if you listen to this on your mobile, swipe up or left, depending on whether you're Android or, or Apple, and you can see the show notes. You, there's a link you can click in those show notes, which will take you to a page where you can sign up for the street team. You get all kinds of cool stuff. You know, you get to join us as our, part of our press team is if, in your local geographic area. They got some cool swag coming out there. They got some cool shirts coming for the street team. And you're just part of the family. So it's a very easy thing to do. And we don't ask much. And I appreciate you asking about that because we love our street team. What's the next one, Jake? Next question is also from the podcast. I see you organize the happy hour event monthly, which is pretty cool. Any suggestions on how to effectively host such an event? I'm pretty technical, technically oriented from a career perspective and was not involved in a lot of social events like this. Any tips or suggestions would be greatly appreciated. I think honestly, hosting events is extremely easy. You, I don't know. I don't think he wants to host an event, Jake. I think he's saying that he's a bit socially awkward and he mm. wants, to know, wants to know how to be social at an event. Start off with, here's my name. Here's what I do. What is your name? What do you do? Cool. Do you have family? What do you do for fun? Be, I think the, the best way to be interesting is to be interested. And so you just, just ask genuine questions. I think that's all really all it is in networking. Trust me, I was the exact same way starting off seven years ago when I kind of started going into like networking events and stuff. I was like, oh, please, somebody talk to me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my hands. I look so awkward here. But really, it's it's so simple. Everybody there at an event like that is there for the exact same reason. Yeah, and Terry, it's and Jake, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but Jake's a bit of an introvert. Yep. So, and Paige is a bit of an introvert. You know, there's a lot of my team are a bit, and it's normal, right? And it's normal to feel kind of awkwardness in a room full of people you don't know. But Jake's right on. Have have a handful of questions. You know, the cool thing is if you come to our happy hour, you have something in common because the happy hours are the physical extension of our, our virtual audience, of our podcast audience. So you know that. I say that, you know, you hope that most of the people there listen. It is funny, Jake. We're kind of a product of our own marketing success. We now have people coming to the happy hours that don't know we have a podcast, which means we're really good at marketing our happy hours. It's funny. One of the good things you can always ask is, why are you here? You know, and, and just start a conversation with people. And then whatever you do, whatever you do, try to just be yourself. And you'll hear people say, fake it till you make it. I don't like that advice. You will, of course, have to push yourself a little bit. You might feel a little bit awkward. You might have to, you know, ask a question to somebody that normally you wouldn't even wouldn't have wanted to ask a question to to get the ball rolling. But just be yourself and just do it. It's like everything else. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And and trust me, Terry, there's a lot of people out there that are introverted that that work the social events very effectively. Just what happens is after the social event, they're worn out. <laughs> Unlike me, who's an extrovert, who I get, there's nothing better in my world than to go in a room full of people I don't know and go talk to them. But but you can do it, Terry, I promise you. I'll read this last paragraph. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot for your great effort on these wonderful podcasts and greatly appreciate all the high quality stuff you guys deliver as always. Great work, guys. And looking forward to having the new Permian Perspective podcast out soon. Yep. It's out already, Terry. Go listen to it. Krista's awesome. And this question is from Larry Williams, who's a chemical and petroleum consultant at our sponsor, IBM. He writes, what is the best way for midstream to catch up with production in the Permian? I saw Larry at our last happy hour here in Houston. Great guy. Great company. Thanks for sponsoring IBM. Best way for midstream to catch up production in Permian, it's it's getting there. It's it's all about money, right? So until the constraint was there, nobody wanted to build pipelines because it would have been a waste of capital. Once the constraint happened, everybody saw the opportunity. They signed long-term contracts with the operators, and they're building pipelines as fast as they physically can. And this, this happens every time there's a shell play and you need pipeline infrastructure to move either hydrocarbons or water or whatever around. So it'll catch up. And what's going to happen is 
stair steps. So as production ramps up in the Permian, the pipeline companies will build build pipelines to capacity. Right. So if they need to move, you know, five hundred million barrels a day, that pipeline would be those pipelines would be built to handle that. And then as production goes up, let's say it goes to seven hundred fifty million barrels a day, then they'll build more pipeline capacity and so on and so on. So there's always a stair step where production's always lagging behind pipeline capacity, but they will catch up, Larry promise. This question is from Anonymous. He writes, I recently inherited a large sum of money, which I would like to reinvest and or purchase some existing small company with the intention of mostly being hands off. I'm marginally involved in the oil and gas industry, but far from an expert. I plan to continue my current role, which is more ag centric, but I've completed grad school, which my company is paying for. That said, I would like some guidance as to where to start. I know, I know, that all sounds way too vague, but if nothing else, I can promise the money is real. <laughs> Enjoy your show and look forward to your response. Honestly, it's so I don't even know. Where to, I don't even know where to begin. I think large sum of money is is always relative to whoever your audience is. For some people, that could be five thousand dollars. Some people, that could be five hundred million dollars. And in an industry where everything is extremely capital intensive, you know, it can kind of be all over the place. I think it also kind of depends on where your ambitions lie, and you know, what kind of companies are you interested in, and, and really, what is your what is your goal long long term? Do you want to buy and flip something? Do you want to hold something for a long time and kind of maybe create some generational wealth? There's there's so many different so many different ways that we can go with this. Yeah, this is just so vague. It's hard for me to even give any direction. I, I tell you this much, anonymous. I would figure out what you have a passion around, and then figure out if there's other people making money at it, and then look at buying those companies, right, or investing in those companies. Because just because the company is profitable, if you don't like it, it's gonna suck. Even after you buy it, it's gonna suck. Now I know you say hands off. I don't even know if I even would. That, that's a hard one too. Because if you're if even if you have a lot of money and you want to invest in a company as an investment. For me personally, I would still be hands-on. Um, I'd still want to make sure I understood the management team, the director, the strategic goals, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Anonymous, we wish you the best of luck here. It is really hard for Jake and I to give you any more guidance than that because it's just it's just there's too many options, too many choices here. Just but I'll tell you this much, make darn sure you do your due diligence. And not only do you do your due diligence, get an independent third party to do your due diligence on the finances whenever you go to buy this company. Sorry, I can't we can't be more help with that, but it's just it's just too vague. Yeah, if you want to reach out to me directly, I'd, I'd be more than willing to have a conversation with you about whether which direction you want to go, whether it's actually buying a company or whether you just want to invest into something that already has a strong management team. So if you're interested in talking some more about it, just reach out. My email is in the show notes below. Awesome. And now it's time for our giveaway each month. I mean, each week we give away a very unique serialized t-shirt from IBM. Now we spent a lot of money on these shirts. They're very nice. And Jake, you want to hear something crazy? Hmm. At our last happy hour, a guy walks in with his shirt, and it's shirt number 0001. Nice. He's wearing the very first shirt that was given away. And when everybody in the audience figured out what it was, they were telling him, why are you wearing it? You need to box that thing up and put it in a display case. But we're giving these awesome shirts away. It's no purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. But basically, click the link in the show note. Go sign up for it. They're cut for both men and women, and, and they're uniquely serialized. So each shirt has a different number. And what we're going to do is we're going to do some giveaways based upon those numbers later in the year. So big shout out to IBM for sponsoring the show and, and for helping us with this kind of really cool swag. Rig count, Drake, Jake, where are we? We are down 1%. We're at 1,038. Still a good number. It's not, honestly, it's not bad. I think it's it's what needs to happen. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. So I agree. Events on deck. Uh, we talked about the street team. If you want to sign up and volunteer, just click on the link in the show notes. We had our Permian Perspective launch party at the Midland Happy Hour a week 
ago. And Jake, the worst hailstorm I've ever seen in my entire life came by an hour before, <laughs> before the happy hour. My car looks like somebody shot it with a machine gun. But we had a great time. Thanks for everybody that came out, even that horrific weather. We're going to do this happy hour the last Tuesday of every month, just like we do the Houston happy hour last Tuesday of every month. So if you're in the Permian area and you would like to get in front of some operators or some service companies, whatever, uh, reach out to Julie about sponsoring the Midland happy hour. We're still looking for sponsors for that one. Like I said, we do it every month. And the same way here in Houston, our next happy hour is the last Tuesday of the month, which will be May 28th here in Houston. If you want to come join us, please, please, please sign up. There's a link in the show notes. And if you want to sponsor that one, let Julie know that as well. We're going to be at OTC next week. This may actually come out after OTC. So if it this does come out after OTC, just trust us. We had a great time. If you don't know what OTC is, it's the largest oil and gas technology conference in the world. It's here in Houston, always the first or second week in May. We've got a link in the show notes for that. And Jake and I are speaking at IPANDEM. I love that. Independent Petroleum Associated of New Mexico, the annual meeting July 24th to 26th. We're going to do a keynote and a podcast live from their event. So if you're in that area, go sign up, come check us out. There's a great organization doing really cool stuff for the oil and gas industry. And if you want to learn about this and more, sign up for our monthly oil and gas newsletter. We don't spam you. We take all the oil and gas events, put them in your inbox once a month. And sometimes there's cool stuff like free OTC passes, which was in last month's. And then if you want Jake and I to come speak like we're going to do in Albuquerque, New Mexico, let us know. Just reach out. We'll share the details with you. And then, of course, this is First Friday Q&A. You know the routine. Submit a question. If we use your questionnaire, we'll give you a big shout out. And if you go to our website, you go ahead and give us a link, your email address. We won't spam you. And join the LinkedIn group. LinkedIn's done a lot of changes lately, and it's for the better. And it's our, our we're actually our marketing team. Big shout out to Julie and Tim is doing some really unique content on all the different platforms with the help of the street team. So all good stuff. This has been a show that's run just a little bit over. You ready to get out of here, Jake? Let's do it. All right, folks. Remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Hey, everyone. It's Julie here with the events on deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden, and it will be from 6 to 9. And then we have our Houston Happy Hour and it's going to be at the Canon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month, we have the Oil and Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th. And we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st. At, it's in Houston. Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019. And they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes. And if you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the month of May. Some events on deck in the, the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th. And then NAPES and the, the NAPES summer is coming up in August. And that is it for our upcoming events. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.